brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. Thank you for joining us. And as always, we have two fantastic guests lined up for you to talk about talent, uh, talk about how they're managing talent, and hopefully, uh, you know, give us a few secrets on what the cool stuff they're doing, what they're thinking about, and how they're being successful. And that really is why this show exists. I love talking to business leaders, CEOs, authors, consultants, thought, you know, futurists, whatever it may be, and what we're should be thinking about what we should be doing uh, around talent. So we've had so many incredible stories and inspiring leaders over the years. I've been really fortunate to be able to put a lot of their stories into some of my books. Uh, the first one, The Power of Company Culture, uh, was a bestseller when that came out. And then of course this year we released Remote Work, which was also a bestseller. Love to have you check those out if you wanna catch up on those stories, find out what some of the best stories were uh, from guests from our show, as well as you know the stuff that I try to do. Um, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. A lot of you know you can tune in to the TuneIn Network, OC Talk Radio. We're also broadcasting this now on YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter live. So on LinkedIn and Twitter, we are live interacting as well. So if you comment there, if you're retweeting, um, we will bring in the questions, we'll comment and, and sort of keep the conversation going uh, as well. So uh, don't forget to follow the hashtag at peoplesg2 or excuse me, the, the handle at peoplesg2 or the hashtag talent talk. And we will make sure to try to catch your comments, catch your suggestions uh, and, and keep that conversation going. My guests today are uh, the vice president of product at Paradox, Josh Spears. We'll bring him in first. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in leadership coach uh, Solomay Trombach um, and uh, see what he's uh, got, got to say for us. So, well, let's go ahead and get started. Our first guest today, as I mentioned, is Josh Spears, co-founder of Tratify, now Tratify by Paradox. Um, and as a part of the Paradox family, they continue to simplify the way business uh, by business, job seekers, and employees connect using the power of human insight. I definitely want to learn more about that. That sounds like a really good elevator pitch, but uh, welcome to the show today, Josh. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how are you? And, you know, tell us a little bit more about you. What's important for us to know, you know, for our conversation today? Yeah. So I am doing fantastic. It's, uh, it's been a great year, uh, as you kind of alluded to uh, earlier uh, in the year around August, we actually were acquired by Paradox um, after a 10 year journey of kind of starting uh, Tradeify with my, my co-founder Dan Science back in uh, 2011 and then taking that through to uh, now joining Paradox. So it's been, it's been quite a year for us and the team. Um, and we're, we're super excited for the, uh, the path ahead with Paradox. Yes, I know Dan is a, a past talent show uh, guest and we had him on uh, and, and you could have gone through this, you said this acquisition together. Uh, you know, why was this uh, the right fit for you guys? You know, it's a, it, it can be it can be a great thing. It can be a terrible thing. It can be a hard thing. But it sounds like it's been a good thing for you guys. So what, why was it a good fit? And what do you sort of, ex you know, what does the future look like? Yeah, I, I think, you know, of all the possible scenarios, this is potentially one of the best outcomes um, for us in that we really found in Paradox um, a partner who kind of shares on a fundamental level our vision um, of kind of what product should be, particularly in this talent acquisition space, um, and also our passion for just creating uh, what we refer to as magical experiences. So from day one, um, core to our DNA at Tradeify has always been, how do we create the fastest, most accurate, accurate predictive assessment in the market? How do we create something that 
is engaging for candidates and, and uh, allows them to kind of go through the process in seconds versus uh, many, many minutes. So I think what Paradox has done, which is really quite uh, fascinating, is develop this conversational assistant, Olivia, that has uh, conversations with candidates and through those conversations can help them apply for positions, search for positions, um, even ask questions about kind of the role and the company over time. So as we partnered with Paradox initially, um, we saw there was a tremendous amount of overlap between kind of our shared vision and shared values in terms of what we built. Um, and in a great way, this kind of happened organically. So we initially did start as partners, uh, servicing kind of mutual clients together. And then through that relationship, um, saw there was a natural kind of union that uh, could exist between the two of us and that we could be stronger together. And frankly, from, from my perspective, uh, from Tradeify perspective, we've always been looking for um, a, a company like Paradox that had a platform by which all of this great assessment product and content that we've developed could be, um, could be delivered and administered throughout the talent life cycle. Right. Well, I mean, M&As happen all the time. We, we hear about that. But I think what we hear about a little less is the sort of challenges that leaders face in, in, in that regard, right? So whether that's how do you maintain your culture? How do you, you know, help your people? Uh, maybe, maybe suddenly things explode, right? And you're, you're, you're now selling a lot more than you ever did before, right? And there's a lot of different types of things that are challenges. What, what was the experience like for you guys and from a leadership perspective? And maybe how have you helped, you know, your team manage that, that change? Yeah, so it, it, was, uh, it was very challenging, I'll say particularly leading up to the point at which the deal is closed. We went through obviously a very extensive uh, diligence process with the Paradox team. And as part of that, um, we were able to bring certain members of the company in who were, who were part of that diligence. But generally we had to kind of keep things under wraps because you know, with, as these things often happen, they, they don't always go through and we didn't obviously want to get our team's uh, hopes up uh, prematurely. So I would say from a leadership perspective, that was fairly agonizing for, for myself and for Dan, who was our CEO and my co-founder, um, just because we, uh, Tradeify, always adopted a very um, kind of transparent, above-board style with our team. We want to share with our team both the highs and the lows of this journey because we're asking um, exceptional, exce exceptional effort from them um, to build what we're building. So I think that was certainly a relief when we were finally able to make the announcement and let everyone know that this was happening. And then from that point through today, what we've really um, made every effort to do is just to kind of keep that communication um, going in terms of making sure that uh, the transition, the, inter the, the deeper integration into Paradox um, is, is well communicated across all the teams so that everyone kind of is in the loop with what's going on and that there's always open channels of communication. And I think that particularly for, for us, those have been myself and Dan. So as leaders of Tradeify, we're still kind of making ourselves available, um, even in our new roles of paradox so that our team can come to us and kind of bring to us any issues or any questions or comments and that we can kind of make ourselves um, available to serve in that purpose, which I think has been greatly appreciated by our team and has actually assisted in making kind of the transition happen much more smoothly. Right, right. Well, I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think all leaders have been thinking about, talking about, or even impacted by uh, is this, you know, great resignation or the great reshuffle that we've been seeing. I mean, it was COVID, it was work from home, uh, and now, you know, people are willing to, to move, to change. I think some of the, the movement was just maybe halted, right? It was just sort of paused for a while during COVID and now it got kind of pent up and then now it's all sort of happening at once. But nonetheless, it's happening. Uh, are there maybe two or three things that you think talent leaders should be focusing on, or, especially around the recruitment efforts? And maybe how do they you know, maybe kind of translate that into their hopefully an improved hiring and retention you know, strategy for new employees? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are a few things that are top of mind for me and for Paradox when it comes to helping our clients and helping others kind of um, deal with this, this challenging labor market. And I think, again, something that's core to our DNA is how do you create a very uh, engaging, 
uh, easy to use, low friction candidate experience. I think candidates have the power now. They have you know the optionality in the market to uh, take any role. So when they are applying for a position um, within your organization, um, it's a, a necessity that you make that experience as easy, as low friction as possible, um, which is obviously uh, something that uh, we at Paradox uh, take very seriously and, and, and build all our products with that lens. I also think uh, communication is essential. So um, I think this is changing, but historically, you've seen um, an experience where a candidate will make will, will apply for a position and then their application goes into a, a black hole of sorts and they really don't have any insight into the process or where things stand or what they should be doing. I think the expectation now um, is that communication should be constant um, or consistent at the very least and that candidates can get the answers when they need the answers to the questions that they have and they should understand um, where they are in the process and what next steps are. I also think that carries over to um, kind of post-hire. So communications, communication is essential, particularly with hourly employees. Um, so again, traditionally hourly employees have kind of been um, a bit forgotten, I think, in the conversation around things like learning and development and engagement. And something that we've seen over the years, and we've actually um, built product and we'll continue to build product to address this, is that companies aren't doing a lot to engage and develop uh, hourly employees. They, they again, have been forgotten in that conversation. So I think the more that organizations can do uh, to for those employees to offer them uh, opportunities to be plugged into the company, to be a part of uh, what the company's doing, um, as well as giving them opportunity to kind of see what path they might have in the company. Um, I think that is, is crucial um, to keeping an employee engaged and retaining them longer term. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's really important. And I don't know, I feel like there's sometimes a disconnect, sometimes there's a um, uh, maybe a lack of thought and, and a, a, like a holistic effort right across that entire process for everybody. We, we hear from people on this show that are top employers that really have it going that, you know, they're thinking about every angle. They're thinking about it from from every sort of stakeholder, every employee sort of perspective and, and trying to create the best, you can't, you can't do it perfectly for everyone, but trying to create the best experience that they can and even insert some sort of in individual um, choices in that, right? To let employees sort of select how and when and where they, they sort of dive into things and how they become exposed to things in that process. That seems to be the best. And yet we're talking to people who are struggling, right? It's clear that some major part hasn't been thought about, some major part hasn't been dealt with, um, you know. So do, do you have any suggestions there? You know, I mean, it's great to say you gotta have it all figured out, but if you don't yet, <laughs> yep. how do you cross that chasm, you know? Yeah, I think um, the advice I would give for any organizations who are struggling now is to really kind of take a step back and, and process and kind of, uh, look at the end-to-end -end kind of workflow and experience that currently exists for your talent um, and, and take some time to really audit that process and look at it from a candidate's perspective or our consumer's perspective, because I think something that we've been seeing in HR technology um, for the past few years is this transition more to products that feel like consumer-grade products. And really they should be. It should, we should be creating experiences that, stand shoulder to shoulder with an Instagram, with a Snapchat. They should be as engaging. They should be as easy to use as those products. And historically, um, the applications that have been built in the space have not been. They've been uh, clunky and hard to navigate and, and boring. So I think an organization really needs to uh, step back and take kind of stock of what that workflow looks like and then find um, find vendors, find solutions that, um, that kind of meet that, that need for this modern candidate. Um, and that, that does require some change, I think, and some ability to um, invest in, in researching what's out there. But I do think it's something that candidates do expect today. And it could very well be a reason that the candidate chooses not to apply with their organization if they have a poor experience applying for, for a role with an organization. So I think all these things need to be taken into account and you really 
in many ways are making that first impression with that candidate when they're applying. And you need to take advantage of that, of that opportunity to put your best foot forward, much like the candidate is putting their best foot forward as they're applying and, and interviewing. Yeah. Well, I know during uh, the last you know year and a half or so, uh, we, we have some people in our society that have done some amazing things, these fr- frontline workers and people who've really been out there. But I think one of the unsung heroes of of this time has been recruiters. Um, they have had to do so much. And when they have been effective, right, they've been able to, uh, we've had people on the show that, you know, they were able to staff 5,000 nurses in New York, right, during when New York had like the, was the worst of the pandemic, right? They've been able to sort of do some things and really help companies out. They've been that lifeline, right, to find the people that, that we need to ultimately fill those positions to do that really difficult work. But I think one of the concerns is, is that these recruiters, uh, they're getting harder to find, uh, especially good ones. Um, and they can be getting burnt out. Um, you know, they, they might be at risk to leave. So what should companies be thinking about and trying to help them, you know, create some sort of balance, avoid the burnout, be able to, and be able to retain those, those, those key people. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because it is something that we see, um, consistently in the market in terms of organizations um, having less and less resources to recruit, which means smaller recruiting teams and, and longer hours and more burnout. And I think what's important, again, is that the organization finds the right solutions and tools that can assist um, their team. And I often think there, there is some, some fear from recruiters when, when an organization is looking at uh, solutions and tools, a fear that potentially they're their role could be replaced or, you know, they could somehow be kind of uh, shoved out of the organization. And I think actually what, what we try to do at Paradox and Tradeify is create solutions and tools that can get the recruiter away from what we call the BS work, the boring stuff. We want recruiters to spend time actually talking to candidates and doing things that drew them to recruiting in the first place, things that they love, the human elements of recruiting and take all the things like scheduling and all the administrative work and offload that to technology so that they can spend their time on what really matters and what's important. So I think that's the best thing, honestly, an organization can do is to really give their team a robust suite of tools that they can deploy that gives them time back, gives them the opportunity to, again, really focus on the things they love about the role versus all the things that really just suck up time and make them right. ultimately unhappy with what they're doing. Well, it's fascinating that, you know, technology is supposed to make us, you know, more efficient and do all these great things for us so we can spend more time doing the human things, right? That's right. And yet right. I feel like, you know, every person I know is looking for a job and it's sort of the process, the, the whole thing is like not helping with that. Right. It's essentially completely automated. No one's really talking to each other. There's just sort of this complete disconnect in the process. So, you know, I, I know your, your company's on the leading edge of using technology to support a very, you know, person-driven, uh, you know, area in every business. So uh, from talent recruitment and engagement, I, I guess, how do we support HR leaders in, 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 I guess, embracing the right technology and helping them eliminate the BS so they can have more of those conversations? Yeah, I think for us, you know, education is key and, and removing some of these, um, I think, unfair um, misunderstandings of, of what some of these solutions do and what they offer. And, um, and again, I think we never uh, want to kind of um, replace a recruiter or take away someone's job. We, we want to build solutions that, again, allow them to get back to what really brings them joy and happiness in their work as well. Um, and we also believe that by giving them time to spend uh, with candidates that um, it will be a better outcome, not only for the organization, but for the candidate as well. The candidate feel more uh, engaged and more listened to um, and, and not spending as much time having to interface solely with the technology um, as, as they are now. So. Again, I think it's it's just that education piece and, and also listening. I think listening to the recruiters, listening to the challenges they have um, and organizations really spending the time uh, and effort to try and figure out a plan um, to use technology to, to help those recruiters use their time more efficiently. 
Yeah, yeah. Have you seen, uh, you know, sort of an uptick in, I guess, maybe the struggles or in, in the retention of, of hourly workers? We have, yes. Yeah. So we, we are seeing um, struggles with retention in the hourly space. Um, again, I just think we're in this interesting time where there's um, certainly an abundance of, of optionality for the hourly worker in the market. There's, there's a tremendous amount of, um, of roles they could take. I also think the this isn't something that has been talked about um, a ton as part of this, this labor shortage conversation, but I think the gig economy is also significantly contributing to, um, to these changes that we're seeing because it offers that, that flexibility and that ability to kind of set your own hours and, and, and kind of work for yourself, so to speak. So, um, and that's really for us, I think our sweet spot from a paradox and trader perspective, we, we do, um, focus on kind of hourly space, not exclusively, but we prioritize it. And particularly for what we're doing with kind of post hire in terms of, you know, learning development and coaching, um, that is going to be a focus for us in the hourly space. Because again, that, that audience, I, I believe has been traditionally underserved and kind of forgotten. So we want to create tools that can not only help with selection of those hourly workers, but also help organizations uh, retain those workers and provide engagement opportunities for them as well as development opportunities. Well, I've got a, a teenage son and I can tell you, I've, I've sat with him and worked with him on, you know, as someone who's, he's an hourly employee, right? Coming in and trying to get jobs. And it's been pretty, it's pretty disastrous. It's pretty terrible. At, you know, the, 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 the terrible automation that, you know, having to repeat things over and over again, the communication, the I mean, it's like, could you could you have designed anything with with uh, user experience less in mind, right? Um, and it's crazy. Like I, I thought we'd be so much farther along. I mean, we've been far better off when I was a kid, just written an application and walked in and handed it to a manager. I had far better experience than what he's having, you know, filling out hundreds and hundreds of these forms and yep. using all these different like recruiting sites and things where the disconnect, right? And the noise is just immense um, to where he, he is having a hard time navigating it, you know? Um, and, and when we went against the grain, we literally went into a place and filled out an app and he got a job on the spot, right? Wow. We bypassed all of the junk that's supposed to be there that never got him anything, which, yep. so to your point, we have a long way to go. <laughs> we do, we do. Uh, and, and and I don't know how much of that is is generational either. I mean, I was certainly willing to go do all that work. I think he's he would prefer to do it all on the phone or do over text. I mean, we have five generations in the workplace right now. Uh, what are some of the challenges or I guess even opportunities that you know come with managing that many different generations? Yeah. So I really think, and I kind of look at this from from a product lens because that's that's what I do. But I do think. Um, you know, often in kind of our industry, there's this, uh, this view that there's um, vast differences between the different kind of uh, age demographics. And, and frankly, um, what we've seen is that there's actually more similarities in kind of how people use products and technology than there are differences. And, um, and again, an easy kind of frictionless experience is appreciated by people of all ages, you know, whether you're a young person who um, has been using an iPad from the age of three, or if you're someone, you know, in your, your 50s or 60s that um, has been learning technology over the last few years, I think it's important to create, again, these, these touch points that allow people to get more quickly to, like you were describing with your son, Chris, this human interaction, this human uh, experience that um, in some ways has been lost from our current, our current kind of workflows and experiences. So both from um, the candidate side and the recruiter side, we want to create that opportunity to kind of engage and to get kind of something back for all the effort that's put into all these experiences. So an example there that um, is something that we actually did a few years ago um, is we created a, out, an output from our assessment that is, is taken as part of the apply process that could be shared with the candidates. So most of the time when you take an assessment as part of the apply process, 
it again goes into the void and you're not really sure how you did or what it means for your your next steps. Well, we actually have a report that we give back to the candidate and the organization can share and say, hey, thanks for doing that. Here's your, your report. Hey, learn a little bit about yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are things you can improve upon? Um, and I think that's something that for us, we've seen candidates of all uh, ages appreciate, you know, something that, that feels like, again, a human touch that can give back to them that can say, okay, we're not just a faceless uh, organization that views you as a warm body. We actually care about you in this process. Um, whether or not we actually do hire you, we still realize you're a human being right. and we want to respect you and your time that you put into this. So um, I think yeah. just, again, building good products that kind of simplify these experiences and allow people to get back to the human um, interactions um, yeah, applies so across the board. So important. It's definitely so important. Well, uh, last and most important question, how can people get a hold of you? How, how can they find out more about your company? Sure. So um, you can visit um, paradox.ai is our website um, to get more information. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn and my email is josh.spears at paradox.ai. Josh, thank you so much for being on our show today and being a guest. Uh, some fantastic insights and Love to see the trajectory and the, the progress you guys are having over there. So love to have you come back at some point and keep us up to speed with what you guys are doing. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. We're right back after this quick commercial break and bring in my second guest, Salome uh, Trombeck. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit peopleg2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or peopleg2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show in Fate. In case you missed my first guest, don't worry. You can get Josh's interview on our podcast. We'll have it up in a few weeks. Or don't forget, we are live streaming right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. You can go and watch uh, the interviews as well uh, for this show or any other past shows in the last oh, maybe six months or so we've been doing this live thing. Um, and uh, don't forget, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com. You can subscribe there. Of course, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. All right, we're going to bring in my next guest whose name I've been practicing all day, so hopefully I get it right. Uh, Salome Trombeck, uh, we'll see how I did, public speaker and leadership coach. Uh, she's a personal growth and leadership coaching who, uh, coach who empowers leaders to lead with impact through self-awareness, mindfulness, and courage. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you did pronounce my name more or less really good. Okay. Close <laughs> enough. Close enough. Uh, I think yeah. so. Close enough. Very good. All right. All right. <laughs> I didn't completely slaughter it. So I'm sure you get that all the time with both your names. My last name seems to trip people up sometimes. Um, Dyer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. There's a street in my county that people know is Dyer Road. And yet when they come and ask my name, they always say Dwyer. They say it wrong, even though they say the street oh. name right. So it's this weird, like mental thing. So I've always just, I just gave it up. Okay. Yeah. That's me. You know, yeah. but, I know uh, the feeling. <laughs> well, uh, how are you? And um, what, 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 what else should we know about you for our conversation today? Yeah, I'm good. I am actually uh, in uh, Copenhagen. So in Denmark, far away from uh, you. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's late evening here around 10.30 p.m. Um, wow. And I guess what I would love to kind of share with the audience, which uh, might be relevant for our conversation today, is 
that um, I am uh, multicultural. So I'm Danish on uh, my mother's side and I'm French on my dad's side with some extra <laughs> roots uh, from a lot of other places. But it's important because I do think that it defines me, both my multiculturalism, but also having lived in a lot of different countries, growing up in an international environment. And it's really had a huge uh, impact in how I view the world. And it's also played a role in my passion and dedication towards personal development and leadership and um, just, you know, the journey within uh, and wanting to get to know myself better in order to understand the world better and to show up better as a human and as a coach, which is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for staying up so late to talk with us. Uh, <laughs> this is a it's live show, pleasure. so it's hard to move it around. But yeah, we, we always enjoy having guests from all around the world and Sometimes the timing works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, you know, I, I think what you just articulated is, is the kind of guest, the kind of person that I really enjoy talking to, someone who is, you know, enjoys understanding different people and different environments and different situations and why they work or why they don't work, right? And is inquisitive enough to say, I want to know more about that or I want to know more about that person. Um, I think the other end of that spectrum are those kinds of people frustrate me, right? That just don't. Care, care, care to know why this works or why that manager is good or why that employee worked out, right? They just mm. think it's luck and happenstance or they just don't care. I don't know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I I, yeah. <laughs> but in, in your own words, since you work with so many, uh, you know, specific people and uh, great leaders, uh, or maybe, maybe even some not so great leaders, so you know what not to, uh, to do, but how would you describe a great and an empowering leader? I think that to me, a great and empowering leader is really three key things. There are a lot of things that can play a part, but um, I think the first main thing in the starting point is self-awareness. So really having that courage to kind of look inwards and, you know, dare to question yourself, you know, about, you know, how good you are or just how it is that you view the world, like you're, like you're mentioning before, right? Um, I think that it's uh, being self-aware also means that you're very uh, aware of your own values and you're able to be, you know, congruent and you're able to live by them. And also you invite your external environment to kind of uh, come in and play a part in that as well. So you value other people's opinions and you and you and you are curious about what the world uh, has to has to say. I think uh, a number two really important if you want to be a really great leader is actually understanding your power. So having an awareness of power dynamics, because it's really something that is key to creating trust uh, in a team, an organization, in life in general. And so I think that that is super important and not talked about enough in leadership today, if I had to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those things uh, lead to the third part, which is really around creating trust. Um, and that means, you know, creating a safe space, creating environments where people feel like their voices are heard and their opinions matter. Yeah. Yeah, those are really important. And I, I'm not sure we've ever even talked about that, that, that idea of power um, on this show. Um, I know we, I read with my book club, um, a couple of years back, you know, the 48 laws of power. And it was really interesting how uncomfortable they were even discussing, <laughs> like, you know, the book, the book has no ethics applied to it. It just says, here are the laws, here are the situations where power can, can happen. And here's how you should deal with it. It doesn't really tell you whether you should or should not implement those strategies, right? Mm. That's, a, that's your own conversation to have, but it's like, you know, the simple one is, you know, don't make your boss look bad. Like rule number one, <laughs> right? Your boss has power over you. Don't make your boss look like an idiot or you're going to have a problem, right? I mean, it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to be totally truthful and transparent. But like, if you're going to make your boss look like an idiot, you're going to have a problem, right? Your boss has some power at some level to, you know, decide what you work on or if you get promoted or do you get a raise or whatever. So, and that's so interesting because that's actually like a problem, right? And that's yeah. why we need to talk more about that because that is not the way it should be at all. And this is also where cultures play a part because mm -hmm. everybody views leadership in a many, many different ways, depending on your business culture. And yeah, it has a lot of, a lot of aspects and I'm sure you can create a great show about that in the future. <laughs> But I think it's fascinating that it's like maybe almost something we don't want to talk about. I think 
you know, there, there was a, some conversation in the last two years, I think around the Me Too movement, especially in the United States about the level of power that certain people had over other people, right? And then how that maybe impacted those situations or maybe created more opportunities for them to happen and less opportunities for, for the victim of those to, to be able to stop it, right? So we know that power dynamics are out there. Um, are, are there situations where, you know, the power dynamic is good? I mean, I can think of the negatives, right? But I think are there places where, where the leaders can use their power for good and, and, and it's something they should be leaning on? Absolutely. I mean, I think with, with anyone in power, if you do, if you do create that self-awareness, so if you do question yourself, then it's an opportunity for you to use your power in a positive way. And if you are self-aware and if you are, you know, a leader that, that is authentic as well, you use your power to kind of equalize power. So to put everybody at the same level, um, it's really just about understanding it. So knowing that it has an impact, knowing that you as a leader uh, will be seen in a different way and that your words, your actions have impact. And so you need to use it in the right way. You need to include people in the conversation. You need to create a safe space so that people feel that they can trust you. And it's, it's really an art, but it's possible. And so it's just about actually just acknowledging, okay, this is the situation. I'm not running away from it. I'm embracing it. How can I make a positive impact? Well, I, I'm sure that you have learned a lot about leadership working in seven different countries, you know, probably more, more cultures inside of those, those you know, countries from a t traditional cultural sense. And then you have your business cultures that are uh, rapidly different, right, from business to business. So maybe what are some of the big things that you've learned as you've sort of, you know, run across the globe working in all those different places? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely fun and it's super challenging to go and and work, uh, you know, in a lot of different places. But I've been fortunate enough to to be able to do that for a lot of different reasons. Um, the last places that I worked uh, internationally, because Denmark is my home and that is where I am now, uh, were Mexico and then China. Wow. And I think that what you really realize is that the way that you see the world is um definitely not the same depending on you know where you are and so what I learned specifically is is really to like you mentioned at the beginning actually you talked about curiosity and so one of the leadership traits that really become important um, from working across the globe or working with people that are sitting in they're sitting uh, in all sorts of different places around the world is you know the need for traits such as curiosity, for humbleness, for presence, uh, courage. And I have a, you know, an interesting story is that when I was working in China a couple of years ago, I was working for a Danish company and it's a company where half of the team was Danish and uh, so from Denmark and the other half were Chinese, so from China. And you cannot find two cultures that are more different uh, you know, in China, or at least traditionally in the business culture, it's not normal to voice your opinion. You follow your leader and you definitely do not question their authority. In Denmark, it's very flat hierarchies in most companies. And so it's much more normal and much more common to give your leader feedback and to, to share your opinion. And so I was initiating a feedback session, uh, which involved all team members and everybody had to, uh, on a one-to-one -one basis, share feedback with one another and management was a part of that and uh i really and i had done it several times before and i really had to realize okay <laughs> this is not going to work in the same way because you know you need to adapt if i want to get the results that i that we need out of it then we need to reassess what it is that needs to be done so i think it's really about you know taking a step back you know, asking the questions, asking the question, what is it that we need to get out of? What is it that we need to get out of the situation? How do we get their best? How do we make people more comfortable? Um, and, and you have to start with yourself. And that's a key lesson in everything. It's if you want people to be honest, if you want people to share their opinions, if you want people to be vulnerable, you have to start with yourself. So as a leader, it's really great if you can start by, you know, looking at yourself and being like, this is where I would give myself feedback. And you do it in front of people who you want, if you want them to give you feedback, for example. So 
it's uh, it's great. I think it's just about being open minded, you know, and and um, regardless. So I learned a lot of those lessons living abroad, but I think you can learn them, you know, also just working with people that are just different. Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed there's a certain connection between great leaders and, and those that are authentic to themselves or their style or, or what their belief system, their values. Right. Um, and, but I, I will I will say I want to kind of ask you and maybe even challenge you here on this. The idea of being, you know, totally vulnerable and totally like critical mm. of yourself in front of your team, because I have seen a disconnect with that because mm. I've seen a lot of people get very fearful if their leader is too vulnerable <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and then it comes off as like they're sloppy. They don't know what they're doing They're you know, so like, what is that balance between being authentic, being willing to say, you know, yeah, I made a mistake, or maybe I wouldn't have done it this way, or, you know, I've learned from this lesson as, you know, there's, there's kind of a balance there between like, just telling them everything and, 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 and oversharing to the point where you're, you take up too much space in the room, right? There's not enough space for the team members to be there, right? To, To support them. I always feel like, well, they say the, the crap rolls downhill. Right. So it's like, you know, it, <laughs> it, but I feel like, I feel like with, uh, with, with vulnerability, it actually, I feel like it goes uphill. Like you can go to your boss and say, Oh, do I feel like I need, I feel like I totally struggled on this thing, but do you, mm. you know, do we tell that to our, to our team, right? Do we, are we that authentic with them in that way? So I, what are your thoughts on how do we, how do we deal with that? Yeah. I mean, it's a really, really, really valid point. And I know that it is, I mean, you said it, it's all about balance and honestly, it's all in moderation. So we can never go to an extreme and that's why we always have to assess certain situations. Vulnerability can create miracles in many ways because it can really create a lot of connection, a lot of engagement, a lot of things, but you have to be aware of your environment and understand where is what fitting. So of course that requires a little bit of, first of all, reflection. So when it comes to being an authentic leader, uh, self-awareness, as I mentioned as as well, is really a a key aspect of that, you know, being a great empowering leader. And it's really about first of all, reflecting within yourself. Because I think what often happens with vulnerable leaders who kind of spill a little bit too much is that they haven't taken enough time to really spend, you know, first think about it within themselves and figure out, okay, what makes sense to actually share? So first you need to, you know, do a lot of self-reflection and assess, okay, what's been going on in the situation? What is it, what is it that I feel I need to share and what value is going to come out of that? So how is it going to be potentially received? So really being aware of what the impact might be. And it's, I think in any case, it's, it's impossible to know whether or not you're going to 100% go too far because you will always be in a situation as a leader where you're not going to be able to please everybody. You're going to have very different team members on your team. Some people might think that you haven't gone far enough. Some people think, will think that you've gone too far. And so it's really about reining that in and saying, what am I comfortable doing and what do I feel will, be, will feel good? Honestly, like it really is about that. And then, you know, taking the consequences as they come because you're not going to be able to please everybody. So, you know, feel it out, test it out potentially with a person first, you know, a co-leader potentially. Right, right. Yeah, we've done exercises with with teams where, you know, you go around and have everyone share, but I always push on the leaders that they need to go last, right? Because Mm. if, if they're, it's hard, (laughs) but if they, if they show up and say, I'm in a great mood or I'm in a bad mood, people feel pressure to like, if they say I'm in the best mood ever, I had this great thing happen. And then you go to someone on the team and they're like, oh, but my dog just died. Like, do they really want to share that? Because they don't want to disrupt the great energy that the leader just brought up. So I'm always pushing. And I hear right. it's here. It's like, I guess it's also really sensing your team. Where are you in your team dynamics and your team development? Because at some point the team is going to be comfortable enough to just share by themselves and then definitely go last. But if you're in a team where nobody dares to say anything, you have to go first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you assess. Yeah. And maybe you can kind of show them how it's done and all that. But, you know, we've also seen where, uh, oh. 
excuse me there. I had a sneeze and I, I was able to mute it. So everyone no didn't worries. hear, but, oh, that's, but that's that, was what a, happened. Amazing. that was the, that was the pause. So I, I thought dead air was better than me sneezing on air. So anyways, um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, if, if you go around the room and people are struggling, then I've always suggested to leaders, you need to shut up <laughs> and deal with their stuff first, right? We need to show them that if they're struggling, if they're having a hard time, that we can help them, support them and be there for them. If then they're all okay and they're, and they're generally doing well, then that's a good opportunity to share where you're at, right? Or maybe where you're struggling, where they could help you, right? And so to your, you made the point of it being balance. And that's the only sort of way I've been able to balance it is by kind of making that rule of they're struggling, I need to shut up. If they're okay, then I can talk a bit more. Um, so, cause you, you can't just be one way all the time, right? Mm. Or else you're, no one's no one's ever getting what they need uh, overall. I think that, that's- yeah, 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 no, I agree. And I think it's good to, you know, to have, you know, different types of practices. I mean, we need to try different things out in leadership and see, you know, what, what works and, and different things will work for different people. Um, so, so also, again, being authentic, you know, don't just do whatever some book is telling you to do, like, feel it out, try it out. And if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I, I, are there other ways you think that, that leaders can show up more authentically or, you know, uh, I guess if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to coach someone who's maybe been struggling with this, but what are some of the things that they should be thinking about right away? Um, I think, first of all, what I've seen uh, a lot is that there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of comparing. So, so as a leader, sometimes you can struggle a little bit with your own, you know, confidence and your own ability to really show up the way you want to. And uh, I think it's really important for everyone to really just acknowledge that nobody's perfect um, and that it's okay to, in that way, be more real uh, and that it's okay to, you know, acknowledge what it is that you're really good at, your strengths, and really uh, focus on those and at the same time, be open and honest about some of the things that aren't that great. I mean, you were just having a conversation as well about recruitment. And when it, what it comes back to as well with you know, great leaders is that if you are aware of what you're good at and what you're not so great at, you can also hire the people that really um, you know, match you in the best way possible. And so I think it's, it's really about focusing on, on that as well, right? And and, uh, and opening up to, to, to wanting to learn more about what other, you know, blind spots do you have? What other limitations do you have? Asking, asking for feedback is, is a great way of becoming smarter uh, about yourself. Right, right. Yeah. And to be honest, I think also, I mean, if I, I use a lot of, um, I use a lot of meditation in my coaching as well, because uh, that's something that's very dear to my heart and something that's worked for me. And I would honestly recommend any uh, leader out there as well to find a mindfulness practice that works. Because once you take that time for self-reflection, whether it is to meditate or just to journal in the evening about how, you know, your, you think your day went or, you know, just asking yourself a couple of questions and writing them down, it can really help creating that little break in the day to just reflect and see, you know, where is, where is something that I should be proud of and where is something where I need to be better. So I, the, the, the mindfulness sort of technique or having that a meditation or something in there, I think really what it is, is a, the opportunity for your brain to be bored, right? To not be <laughs> occupied and not to be stimulated. And so wh why do so many good ideas come to us in the shower or when we're taking a walk or, you know what I mean? Or we're driving in our cars um, because we are, we've limited the stimuli. Right. And a hmm. brain has an opportunity to like go back and start processing things. So um, either you can take more showers or more more drives in the car with no radio on, I guess. But or you could, you know, meditate. I think that's a really, really great one. And sometimes people feel unsure of how to do it or uh, even uh, concerned they're not doing it correctly. I think if you just turn on one of those apps, you can do a guided <laughs> one, you can do an unguided one. Give yourself, yeah. just try 30 minutes. You know, I have seen sometimes you get really great, you know, kind of clarity in the moment, but I think sometimes you get it later on because your brain just had time, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like sleeping. Our brain does so much work while we're sleeping. 
Um, yeah. And it's the same thing when we stop during the day to, to journal, to, to meditate, to, to do something, to allow ourselves, you know, not on our phones, not watching TV, not, not doing something where our brain has to be active, but just you bring up a really great point. Are, are there any particular ones that you think are better than others that maybe someone might want to try? You mean in terms of, uh, of meditation techniques yeah. or, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, okay. So first of all, I think it is like, like you're saying, you know, people can either be a little bit scared of it or have these expectations towards what is it that it's supposed to give me right away. So, uh, first of all, for anyone listening, really just leave out any expectation you can sit, you can lie down. I mean, lie down, you might risk falling asleep, but you yes. can stand up. I think, you know, take away all the noise of what you're here from the outside world and just kind of what, what feels right for you in that moment. You know, you can close your eyes, you can keep a soft gaze, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter what happens in those 10 minutes. doesn't matter if a million thoughts come to you, just accept whatever is coming, whatever you're feeling, accept it. I really think acceptance is a key word when it comes to meditation is just just letting whatever happens happens and not feeling like, Oh God, it's supposed to be this way. And Oh no, now I'm thinking about this and that's not what I'm supposed to do during these 10 minutes. Forget it. Because then you will never appreciate that break that you can give yourself in the day. And if you realize, you know, it's not for you. I, you know, I have some friends who are like, you know, I'm in awe of what you're doing. So me, but it's just not for me. I go for a run. I'm like, great, whatever works for you. You know, you can take a walk in the forest. It doesn't matter. Don't, get caught up with you know, what people are saying. If it feels right for you, that's what you do. Um, I've tried a lot of different meditation techniques. Um, and uh, I, I, I actually practice different kinds. So, you know, there's one called Anapanya, which is just about noticing the breath. And it's really easy because that's all that you do. And it's something to, in a way, focus on, but you're, you know, you're stepping away from your thoughts a little bit. And I mean, if anyone ever needs more advice on that, I can, you can always reach out to me. <laughs> I have a load. <laughs> well, speaking of which, how can people find out more about you? What's the best way for them to, to connect or reach out? Um, definitely on my LinkedIn um, or on my website. So my website is my name, salometrombach.com. And it's the exact same name on my LinkedIn definitely contact me there and, you know, let's have conversations. <laughs> and, and if anyone is uh, challenged when it comes to spelling, uh, spelling names yes. like myself, S-A-L-O-M-E, uh, the E actually has the little, uh, I don't know what you call it in, in French, but the little, uh, yeah, it's, it's a... in Spanish, but yeah, the little, the little mark. You... Mm -hmm. Yeah, but don't, so that one, when you, obviously, when you write the website, uh, that, forget about that one. So just right. S-A-L-O-M-E-T-R-A-M-B-A-C-H.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, for staying up so late and talking with us. You were brought about so many wonderful uh, ideas here, and I hope uh, everyone else uh, got some fantastic insights like I did. And we would love to have you come back on the show, uh, you know, sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a beautiful day. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.